you were always there, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and Sandy Parker, female wrestler. Sandy First Parker. African American female That's wrestler. That's where I've heard that name. Oh. Yeah. That's where I've heard Sandy that name. Parker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, I got the opportunity to wrestle in the Cow Palace last year. Was mm-hmm. it last year? I think it was last year. Mm-hmm. That was last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wrestled there twice, and it was pretty awesome because when I first moved to California when I was a kid, um, my dad took me to a wrestling mm-hmm. show, and it was at the Cow Palace. Mm-hmm. First time I ever saw The Undertaker live. Oh, oh okay. So, oh, The Undertaker and when was I, It was kind of surreal when I was driving up the uh, driving up Geneva, mm-hmm. and Geneva. you just see the, the big building yeah. with the big red um, letters. Yeah. It's Cow, Cow Palace. Palace. It's like I'm getting goosebumps right now just thinking about it. Wow. Um, then I pull in and then I go I walk into the building and I just walk into the arena and I saw the exact seats that me and my dad sat in oh, when I wow. first saw the Undertaker live I bet that was and then my kids were allowed to, to be there to watch me mm-hmm. wrestle live in the mm-hmm. cowboys. so it was kind of dope oh that's cool that's cool yeah that's amazing that you love what you do oh yeah if I wasn't built for this, then I'd be dead. <laughs> He's Bill Ford. Yeah. If you if you if you wasn't doing this, you'd be dead. You said. Yeah.
Hello and welcome to the weekly review on Mutiny Radio. This is Roman. It is Friday, April 30th, 2021. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio, which is in San Francisco, and that is on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatouche Ohlone peoples. And for more information, please go to weeklyrev.org, click on our land acknowledgement tab, and there you will find maps, uh, ways you can donate to the Segorate Land Trust, as well as native news outlets to follow, and much more information. So again, weeklyrev.org, and click on the land acknowledgement tab. Have a great show for you all today. Did a, an awesome interview yesterday with some great folks who are affiliated with the Seattle Trans Film Fest, known as Translations, and I'll be playing that uh, now, right now. So big thanks to Cooper, Alana, and Mocha for speaking with me, and just I'm um, so excited about this film fest, and folks, <laughs> I'm gonna take a deep breath. I've had one of those mornings. Just uh, one of those, one of those mornings. I know it's the afternoon. However, uh, for me, <laughs> for me, it was one of those mornings. So just catching my breath here, biked here as fast as I could, and uh, yeah, thanks so much for tuning in. And I will uh, start playing this interview momentarily. And also later today, we will have a link up on our webpage, weeklyrev.org, where you can order tickets for the film fest, as well as see other um, information about. $3 cinema, $3 bill cinema, yes. So, I'm going to catch my breath, uh, play this interview, and then we'll be back afterwards. I'll play some more music and uh, have some news items for you all. So, please do stay tuned. That was a soundbite. Ah. Well, thanks so much for joining, and I thought if you all would like to introduce yourselves. Oh, sure. So um, I will start. Uh, my name is Cooper Seeley. Um, I'm one of the co-lead programmers for Translations uh, 2021 Seattle Trans Film Festival. My name is Mocha James, and I am the co-lead programmer. And I am Alana Francis, she, hers, and I'm the development and community outreach manager at $3 Bill Cinema. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to, to join us today and looking forward to sharing some good information with our listeners about the upcoming Trans Film Fest. And I thought we could maybe start by talking about how you all got involved with the Film Fest. I was like, I'll just start because my answer is a little bit smaller. Um, so I, I got involved with translations because of being staff member. I have heard of what $3 Bill Cinema was doing for quite some time. I hadn't had the ability to attend any of the events. I lived out of the area and um, being in person wasn't something I added on. So as soon as we went virtual and I was working for the organization, um, it opened up a lot of accessibility for me personally to engage with the films um, and be able to see myself and folks around me represented. So that's, that's definitely how I got involved. Um, yeah. So mine is probably the next shortest, and um, and that we're going in like order of depth because I know um, Mocha has been in this in this game for the long time. Um, I actually uh, started with translations. I want to say through Seattle Queer Film Festival. Mm -hmm. uh, it's multiple iterations. So that was a few years ago and then um, took a pause um, and was teaching and then um, and then came back 
um, when I finished teaching and realized, oh, I actually have time for life now that I'm no longer teaching in higher ed. So, but I stayed in touch with with both the Seattle Queer Film Festival and um, and the Seattle and the uh, Seattle Trans Film Festival through sending my students. And so, um, they volunteered every single year, and it was always eye opening and um, amazing and amazing to watch the festival grow. And then, um, and more recently, last year and this year, I've been more in, increasingly involved. So from programming specific program to now co-lead programmer with MOCA. Cool. So like just a few years for me, MOCA's, MOCA's the veteran. Mm. I've been, been involved for a while in different film festivals. So this is MOCA and um, I've actually been involved with different film festivals for a long time and in fact, um, before I moved to Seattle, I lived in Austin for a long, long time, and mm -hmm. I had several of the films that I've made screened at $3 Bill um, under all its different iterations, $3 Bill, Twist, Seattle Queer, you know, um, it's changed its name a few times. Um, so I was familiar with the organization, and then about maybe five or six years ago, maybe longer, Kathleen Mullen uh, was involved with $3 Bill, as the uh, as a festival director, and we go we go way back. Um, I met Kathleen in like the Toronto Film Festival scene, and um, anyway, we were connect she had asked me to write some of the synopses, so I started to get involved that way. And then when I ended up moving to Seattle, I connected with uh, Kathleen, who brought me into the organization, and it was great. It was a really great way to meet everybody, and um, it's really really rewarding and satisfying too. I actually enjoy programming and exhibiting films as much if not more than making films. Excellent. So I thought perhaps we could, um, whoever would like to share, I was curious about the history of the Translations Film Fest as well as uh, the, um, the greater um, $3 Bell Cinema uh, Fest. Yeah, well, Francis Mocha. Translations is in its 16th year, actually. Wow. Incredible. Um, so it began, if I can do math, nine years after the Seattle Queer Film Festival started. Um, and it was and remains one of the very few film festivals that are dedicated just to transgender and non-binary content. You know, of course, the Seattle Queer does show some trans and non-binary content, but um, there was a need to have a separate festival that would really center that and create the kind of community that we can create by focusing just on that content. Mm -hmm. Excellent. As a, as a trans person, I have just been so grateful. I've been, I'm in San Francisco, so um, every year when the, the trans, the San Francisco Trans Film Fest has come around, it's just been so, I just appreciate it so much and all the folks who are affiliated with it. So I'd imagine folks up in Seattle feel the same. Yeah, it's, it's astounding to me to know that we're like one of like 10 in the world. And if, wow. you know, if, yeah, yeah. I mean, one is in San Francisco and one is in Seattle, right? Mm -hmm. That's like, I mean, it kind of says everything we need to know about the significance of this, the longevity of the history and the fact that, that it's still around, right? And it's still doing the work it's doing, mm -hmm. um, even during COVID. And, and one of the things that have um, last year and this year that, that we did that are new, of course, is that um, we've gone virtual 
And so um, what that means is that there is a kind of geo-blocking and um, we've managed to, thanks to um, Mocha and uh, Maddie and Alana, um, we, we managed to get a lot of that lifted, a lot of that shifted so that it was, it's nationwide or it's, you know, West Coast. Um, um, some of things will be able to be seen um, more broadly, but, but what that means is we can reach rural areas. We can reach areas where you wouldn't typically be able to see a festival. And in taking advantage of that in the, in the times of COVID, uh, that's just, you know, I, I'm hoping for, for people that's, that's life-changing. We're doing Definitely. the work, you know, what we started out in its inception. And I was talking to a friend, Julius, we, we did another presentation earlier today about the festival. And uh, Julius has also been working on it for many years. And um, they were saying that, um, you know, when, when, when the festival was first around, it was hard, it was terrifying and dangerous and scary and, and, um, and uh, encouraging to be in numbers, but just walk in and um, be able to attend the festival. That was a big move, just to mm -hmm. walk into a theater and attend the festival. And yes. now, you know, now, now it's an entirely different experience. Mm -hmm. I was thinking just in terms of like also folks in rural or other areas being able to access the films, how incredibly important it is now, especially with all the anti-trans bills that unfortunately we're, we're seeing and how um, important it will be, especially for trans youth, just to have that understanding that they're not alone and there are trans adults out there who have their, have their back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, with like understanding the current context really informed our programming and it was really important that we include a shorts program called fam jam about mm. trans families um that incorporates some some films about trans youth and also um we we programmed this last year it's become kind of a staple our shorts program called trans joy mm. which is always a festival favorite and it's like because you know what like yeah things are hard um there's a huge backlash against trans people you know, across the world and in the US. And um, we really wanna carve out a space for us to be together and, and celebrate and feel great. And um, you know, it's just wonderful to be able to do that um, virtually and mm -hmm. reach the people that we can reach. Yeah. And keeping virtual, I think virtual will be something, I know virtual will be something that we will always implement because it opens up not just during the time of COVID when we really need and want to be connected, engaged and seeing ourselves, especially as media normalizes a lot of our experiences in society and how mainstream society views folks is through media representation and intake. Mm -hmm. And so being able to be virtual with our shorts programs being national and our features being national, we're now being able to open up so many more conversations and take down some barriers and some walls and be able to open up what resources we could maybe be providing through our film and through our organization so that there's there's more overlap, there's more change making and that no matter where you're located, you know that you're going to be able to receive amazing films 
curated by folks that are representing so many people across so many different binaries and spectrums in our communities. Yeah, I thought um, if everyone if anyone would like to share um, any of the other like uh, films that are going to be shown this uh, in May to yeah, highlight. I would love to. Yeah. Why, Norman, I would love to tell you about the films we're going to be screening. Uh, <laughs> I am so excited. We have an incredibly international lineup, as we usually do. And we've got films from Japan, Vietnam, Russia, oh, wow. Brazil, Sweden, Canada, exotic Canada. Um, all <laughs> <laughs> you know us Canadians, I know. I'm excited mm. about all of the films. I'll tell you about some of that I'm even excited, excited about. Um, so we're opening with a great Canadian film called No Ordinary Man that is a really interesting, groundbreaking, innovative, very clever documentary about the late, great Judy Tipton, the, last, the, the mm. jazz legend who was you know, found to be transgender upon his death and who remains like this incredible mystery and icon um, to transgender folks um, in the US and around the world. And we're closing with a fantastic film called Valentina from Brazil. It's just this endearing, beautiful oh. coming of age um, Brazilian film, and it stars YouTube influencer uh, Fiesa Weinbach in her feature debut, and she's incredible. She won the acting award at Outfest in LA this year, and those definitely make the top of my list. And then we're also, I mean, they're all great. We're also showing a Swedish documentary called Always Amber that premiered in at Berlin and uh, is in high demand. Uh, it's a really great barricade documentary. And we have uh, another Brazilian film called My Name is Baghdad, um, mm. about a really interesting kind of gender-defying skateboarder. And then uh, Mom and M, which is a film from uh, Baltimore about a, uh, a couple raising a uh, a, a special needs child. I mean, it's, it's just wonderful. And while one of the partners is going through transition, uh, that's an incredible film. They're going to be involved in the uh, Fam Jam panel that we can probably talk about. Anyway, that's just a few of the films that I'm really excited wow. about. Yeah, those all sound great. I, I was, um, I'm sorry, go ahead, please. Oh, I, I was going to say those are, those are some of the um, feature films. And mm -hmm. Um, and then we have a series of different um, short programs that are really incredible. Um, we have a wonderful committee that put them together, um, and they they range it just as uh, as broad ranging in um, in topic and in uh, geography, mm. um, right? And and what's also, I mean, they sort of echo each other. They don't parallel each other. Um, but what one of the the um, my favorite docu uh, documentary features is is the one that um, Mocha just mentioned, and it pairs very beautifully with um, the shorts and Fam Jam, um, where we're going to be able to have um, a conversation with it. So it'll be local and national in its direction because the conversation will be very much about what we started talking about. The, the kind of significance um, this kind of work has for people all in, in all over 
um, in cities and in rural settings, but also um, for young people who are looking for themselves and the adults around them mm. um, and looking for themselves on screens. And so Bam Jam um, is directed very specifically at um, young teens and, and up and families. Um, and it's a series of shorts that are just really beautiful. They're just really mm. wonderfully put together. And of course we have our cutie BIPOC um, shorts that I have to talk about and talk about. It's gonna be our um, live night mm. uh, where we have live Q and A after um, a special screening that I'm not gonna open up, openly reveal yet. <laughs> Gotta keep some of those secrets. Yes, it's lots yes. of fun. Um, lots and lots of fun. Um, and, um, and the series, the, the shorts will be about an hour long and then we have our Q and A and our special like special feature screening um, that will sort of anchor everything and center everything and some, some like really wonderful guests who, um, who are new animators and making amazing, amazing work. So they'll be there to be able to answer some questions and to talk about the films together and we'll, you know, chill and have a good time. Oh, excellent. And that's Saturday night. That's the 8th. Okay. Yeah. And for listeners, this is happening, um, like, the, the early, in early May. May yeah. 6th to the 9th. Great. And what's the, the website where folks can access these films? Um, you can go to $3billcinema.org. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you'll see the link for the Translations Festival. Great. And is it the three spelled out or just the number three? Yeah, it's three spelled out. Okay. Three dollar bill cinema. Excellent. Thanks. Yeah. And we'll we'll post the a link to that. The longest URLs in festivals. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I was curious about like accessibility in terms of I know a lot of film fests have had been sure to have closed captioning on the films, and I was curious if that was also the case with translations. Yeah, yeah we actually yeah. started that. For three dollar bill cinema overall so we will be requesting awesome. that all films that are submitted and pushed forward into the festivals will be captioned and if not that's something that we will then invest our time find volunteers or finances into to ensure that captions are a part of all of our programs and films mm -hmm. oh great excellent um i was i have a few more questions here um well a lot okay uh, it's like so exciting, and I really appreciate. It. Yeah, it's like it's really exciting, and yeah. it's just like it's a it's a good reminder that there are so many like artists out there, and the folks who um, ensure that artists can have their work shown, which is I mean it's there are so many I think barriers um, in especially in this in this country certainly, and then to be able to create a place for folks to show their work, especially to such a, a wide audience, is so it's such a, such important work. So I hope you yeah. all. Uh, feel um, the gratitude. Yeah, I think I feel gratified more more than you know, yeah. like it's, it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's like okay, this is this is this is doing the work it's supposed to. Do. And as we, as we get closer to the festival, and I hear from people who have you know attended it before, and they they just randomly share what it means to them, mm -hmm. what it meant in the past. Um, I, that, I mean, that just, it's a, it's such a profound reminder um, that you never really know uh, when you're featuring 
people's work, mm. who's going to be touched by that work and why, right? Yes. Like, it's so important. Yeah. I mean, we take it so, so seriously as an organization, really, um, being able to push ourselves further to be more transparent, to learn and grow, to listen to feedback, to be able to think outside of the box and to be able to kind of lead some tough conversations and actions that maybe other festivals haven't been able to get into. But we know that the work that we're doing is so vital and so important to creating change in film and in filmmaker accessibility and who's being showcased and being paid what mm. and when and how can they get even into the industry in yes. the first place yes. right and so we definitely like for our monthly program even we highlight our shorts because mm. those shorts filmmakers have such a harder time getting the funds making the like just there's so many bar barriers like you'd said and so we're really looking at how can we as an organization from our festivals and from other programs really be able to have a, a bigger impact and build that out and be able to create community and resource and long-term foundations for filmmakers and everyone that kind of goes into those processes. I think that we have that opportunity being an, being an organization. We're paid to do this. It's our job to not just showcase films, but we are a queer community organization that that isn't that that's not like light, taken lightly from us we definitely um really want to walk what we talk and find more things and then be able to add on to our learning in every single way whether it's um from folks who are partnered with us and being able to engage more authentically mm -hmm. um and more centered in our relationships than in transactions i think that's one way that we can really create change together as a community mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You were going to ask us more questions. Please oh, ahead. yes, I can. I just also didn't want to like cut anyone off. Okay. So um, I was also curious in terms of like along the same lines, how can folks submit their work uh, in the future for, um, is there like outreach at all and or are there ways that folks can um, link up with you all to, to, to show their work? Yeah, I mean, we have an account on Film Freeway, which is what a lot of festivals do, and it mm. makes it super easy to submit and like people basically you have most filmmakers have an account on film freeway and then like with the click of a button they can apply to different festivals oh cool yeah we do um we outreach through a lot of our newsletters and um social media website communities that we've partnered with in the past our presenters so we send out a, um as many calls as possible and start to partner with people who are in the same fields that we're in and be able to kind of um, shift who might be getting our information and ensure that we're getting some new representation of folks. Um, those are the other ways that we kind of get word out, but we're always looking for better ways and new ways to be able to increase who knows about us and um, create that opportunity. Yeah, that's like another question I had was, I was curious oh, if- you find I'm sorry. Um, I think we've also done a really good job of um, uh, bringing in some non-traditional content like episodic shows um, that are really popular on YouTube. We did that last year. It was one of our most popular programs, actually, where we showed um, just a couple episodes from some of like the best uh, 
transgender, non-binary, episodic like webisodes out there. We actually showed Razor Tongue, um, which then went on to get nominated for an Emmy Award, um, created by Rain Valdez, who's amazing. Oh, cool. Um, and and we're continuing to and, and that's kind of stuff that you know you might not think of it at first because it's generally readily available on YouTube. You know, why would you include? But it's so fun to watch it in a festival setting. You know, mm-hmm. um, with maybe a live audience, you know, the filmmaker gets some feedback, um, we get to shine a light on some great work, and um, people can can talk about it together. It's proven to be a really, you know, great uh, part of the programming. So, yeah, like, we do make an effort to kind of, and, and also it tends to be that um, we're, like, we're more often, um, it's more that you're going to find more diverse work out there on the web um, mm. than you're going to find folks, you know, who are just submitting through, you know, film freeway, you know, who know kind of the machinations of the film festival industry. Yeah, I was um, curious if there was any relationship with, um, per se, like uh, like Fresh Meat, which is here in San Francisco, which uh, does like a lot of trans art and or and performance pieces and or any other queer or trans film fests around the country or around the world any partnerships that you had or and are working on currently? Yeah, well, we had um, one of the programmers from the San Francisco Transgender Film Festival was involved in our programming committee this year. Oh, and nice. Yeah, he was great. So it was really nice to have that connection. And we've got a couple folks from Portland who are on the committee. Uh, one of you know the silver linings to the pandemic is that you know, people can be all over the place and be part of a programming committee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we've become virtual, that's kind of shifted how our committees are, and committees and outreach and kind of everything has changed in the last year because of going virtual. So we've really looked at, um, as like three dollar bill, how can we? Oh, oh my gosh, I totally lost my train of thought. My ADHD just like came and clapped in so fast, and she said, <laughs> "Hey, wow!" And I said, "I got got by her." Um, it's very <laughs> relatable. Thank you. Um, the virtual, yes, <laughs> opened up opportunity to, oh, so that we're able actually now to really intentionally look at what relationships we can grow that are outside of Washington. Um, and we've had a, a new shift of the organization. So our staff and a board are all new right now or new in the last year, generally, um, as they are staffing, and so we're, we are taking a shift to really be able to see who's doing work that's similar to us, um, who have we partnered with in the past, and how can we look at those relationships and further evolve them and really get some like solid conversations going. How can we talk to some of these other fests like in San Francisco and um, put more intention out there as we build forward since we have started a lot of our new visioning in 2021 the end of 2020 that's definitely something we want to do and we're like hey you just call us if we haven't called you just plug but we we very much want to look at um how can we build up relationships across some of these film festivals and i have that as a a goal in seattle and also for queer and trans film festivals well that's great and the other the other thing is too we get to uh, partner with organizations who, um, and you never know where people go after they leave Seattle, and, and you might still have a love for the place, for, the, for some place they worked here. I mean, Mocha is actually uh, not currently living in Seattle. That's a secret. 
No, no, okay. I'm there. It's it's raining, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's raining really hard. Rain. It's raining and dark right now. Right. I'm, don't I'm don't tell them okay. It's actually summer here. <laughs> you can see that uh, cloud glow on my face and see it. Right. Giving me that nice, uh, tepid, wonderful gray. That's that's what's happening. For those that's who can't see me, I right hope that's now, a good that's description. <laughs> um, and what it means, though, is that um, the people have stepped away, but they've also continued to stay in, in touch and, and volunteered. Mm. And there are other organizations who are very interested in investing and or in partnering um, in ways that are outside of doing film festivals. There are other arts or arts organizations, et cetera. Um, and, and, and we're uh, developing those relationships as well, right? So um, particularly as uh, Alana was talking about, as we continue during the year, after the festival ends, it's not the end of the festival. We're, we're, we're programming throughout the year um, and, and those are the kinds of works that we can then, and partnerships we can then invest in um, to continue. And if folks were interested in volunteering and or working with you all, would they just contact you through the website? Is that the best way? Absolutely. And yeah. if they know we have a donate button, don't we have a donate button? Yes. Donate button. Oh, we definitely <laughs> have a donate button. Bigs also coming next week, right before translations, and we have that donate button too. We're just everywhere. You join us, you hang out, you volunteer, you become a member, you you join our board. We are, you know, there are quite a few ways and a myriad of opportunities um, from whether you're a professional with extra time or you're trying to grow a specific skill set and you want to pursue an internship or mm -hmm. you um, are on a board or want to be on a board, never been on a board, but you have some passion and some time and you're like, I could give back. I can be on a working board and I wanna be that person. We are definitely looking for folks, right? We're looking for filmmakers and people who, um, I mean, honestly, we're just like kind of looking for every single person to join us because mm -hmm. we become better the more folks we have engaged. We, yes. we grow and, and do better programming because we have folks from all walks of life calling us or emailing us, showing up um, for us and with us, calling us in and out. And I, I love that. I think that that is what makes us beautiful if we can just kind of stay in that pathway. Yeah. Um, some, somewhere along the lines, I was also curious, um, for once we all go back in person, if, you, if any of you had any recommendations for folks in other towns or cities that maybe wanted to start their own trans film fest, like a local mm. fest, if you had any words of inspiration or advice for folks. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a big question. That's a big question. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. um, you need an Alana, because she's got energy to spare. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she will call out her own ADHD, which is lovely. It's it's very refreshing because then I don't have to go crazy. Um, no, I think I think um, I think uh, one of the things I would say is um, is if if they're going to in a small space try to develop um, a film festival, then start small. Mm -hmm. Keep it small. Um, start with start with a local venue. Make a make a partner with a tea shop, with a coffee shop, with a 
with a you know a local community center with a whatever but keep it small keep your your costs low so that you can bring in you can put your money into bringing in um good work right and that's that's like that's the thing and then um and if you don't try to do too much at once because i was part of a starting up a film festival when i first started doing film festivals and that was you know we i learned from some novice mistakes but also um, got some great advice from people who were more experienced, and they were in the queer film festival. And the film festival that I was starting up was a black film festival in in Ottawa and Canada. And so they saw the importance of what we were doing, and um, and sat us down and gave us, you know, and they were like queer aunts and aunts and uncles, like and aunties, mm. right? Like they were just so lovely and brilliant and embracing and wonderful and warm, and. Um, and they taught us how to how to to do this work. Um, I say the other thing is, um, look for your mentors. Like, reach out to the likes of us um, in larger cities. Don't be afraid to call um, on 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 the resources around you from other large cities because we understand really intimately what it is to do this work, um, and we'll be right there next to them. What do you think, Mocha? Yeah, I would just echo what Cooper says about starting small. Doing a week-long or even a weekend-long film festival that has date like all-day programming is it's a it's a huge task. And so it's uh, most film festival. I, I actually don't know. I'm just speculating. Um, but my advice is to start <laughs> as a film series. You know, maybe show one film one night a week for the month of you know November or June or whatever and start that way and get your audience um get your crew together you know like have it kind of be like a snowball where you're attracting more and more people um into the organization and in in uh your task your you know your project is getting known um and then kind of it you can organically then develop your kind of the way that you organize, you know, the organizational structure, um, that sort of thing. Yeah, I would add that any work that you're doing, anything, whether you're adding a festival or, or starting your own business or whatever it is, you want to do an event for yourself, really identify your goals and define what success means to you, mm. not what success means to everybody else, not what success means to your family or your bestie or whomever. But really sit down with yourself and have that hard conversation of why am I here? What am I doing? What am I willing to do? And be really realistic on your capacity. Mm. Know that it's okay. You're doing something new. You're doing something cherished and loved. So if you're taking your time with it and you're checking in with yourself and you're calling in folks to support you, or maybe you don't want to go that big and you're just doing something on your own, really being realistic with what that looks like and and remember that in that land it's it might change mm -hmm. but if you're really clear with what what success feels like for you i mean are you bringing in money is that your goal is your goal to get five people to participate is your goal to send it out to everybody across the city right sit there with yourself and write that stuff out and see what calls to you see what feels good those are going to be the things that really push you to stay energized in work that might be challenging and work that's going to ramp up and you're going to be like managing 800 things. 
it gets a lot easier when you've had that conversation with your insides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, another question I had about the fest. I know that sometimes with film fests, um, folks can like buy like a pass and like check out all the films, or they can see the films individually. I was curious if there was anything like that. And also, I know some film fests are also like sliding scale or, or donation based. I was just curious as to the the model for for translations. Yes, so we have both tickets and passes. Our tickets are sliding scale. We will always mm. have sliding scale tickets. Um, our monthly programs, our other festivals, and um, we tried to do kind of what would feel the best for the scale, what's realistic mm-hmm. for our organization, and what's realistic really for the folks who want to call in. Mm-hmm. But make sure that any communication around accessibility, if folks do not have within their budget to be able to see a film that represents you or your youth or your family, please email us. The priority is that folks are able to engage with film, not that you're sending us your finances in order to Mm -hmm. do so. It's definitely a relationship and we are community organizers and and, an organization. Mm -hmm. So we wanna ensure that that relationship stays very open. Um, and I know that that builds trust, and those are things that will grow as people feel comfortable to reach out to us, but that is something. Um, and I always look for sponsors as mm-hmm. well who are willing to support in providing tickets that are accessible to anybody in, engaging with our films. Um, and then our passes as well, so that, yeah, that is going to be throughout the year. I think our passes, I believe, are, are not sighting scale, but we really look at what accessibility we have student and um various levels to our passes so that you're able mm-hmm. to still sign up to watch the entire weekend if you don't want to just watch one or two parts mm-hmm. of it. Ah, that's great to hear. I was curious. And the to, wonderful uh, thing about um the way when, as we're screening them, once um uh, anybody purchases a film or a package of films, that is so if they uh log on to let's say they want to watch the QT BIPOC screening. Mm-hmm. Um, once they purchase that, um, they can watch that for 72 hours. Oh, so, great. Right, so the, and that's whether they pay, you know, the, the full price or a sliding scale price or add a donation or whatever, it's the same, right? So mm-hmm. they, have a, they have some time to watch and enjoy, sit back and sort of really take in, watch and exactly. rewatch. Oh, and if they buy a ticket on Sunday, they will have that still, right? So our last day is May 9th, but if you buy your ticket or your pass on May 9th, it's not going to go away by midnight of that, you know, evening, mm. correctly the next day, but I like to say that night. Um, <laughs> then you'll still have a, a few days to watch the films that you've signed up for, so mm. we don't just, like, yank that out from underneath you. We want to make sure that people can actually like enjoy it and not feel stressed and be able to have fun and talk with their friends about it and all that good stuff. Yeah, excellent. And also sometimes you want to we want to rewatch something in case you missed something or just to maybe you want to watch it with someone who wasn't able to see it at that time and can watch it together. So that's great. Have your watch party. Have your watch party. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and film helps so many conversations to be had, right? Like, Mm. watching a film removes a lot of the stress and anxiety from talking about ourselves, and now we are talking about somebody in a film. Yeah. So especially, like, with Fam Jam and, and really, honestly, any age of person being able to engage with that and then have the film be able to talk about with a friend or a coworker or a family member, 
and say, oh yeah, this other person. We're not talking about me. Mm. We're talking about this person in the film. Yes. What do you think about that? You know, and that really is powerful. It just yes. removes really so many, so many things um, mm -hmm. from folks who have to have conversations that you have no idea how they're going to be. Mm -hmm. That's part of art is, you know, seeing seeing ourselves in these characters. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I thought we could maybe, if um, you all wanted to talk about anything that you're working on, either individually or collaboratively um, outside of the film fest that you wanted to promote or share with the listeners. Y'all, y'all doing arts work? <laughs> like, catch me on my Instagram for my modeling persona, you know? <laughs> do you need another radio host? What do you mean, my side work? You know, I'm just like... <laughs> 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 my life is $2 bill cinema right now. A lot of my yeah. creativity is being able to come out in those ways and, like, yeah. what we're doing for our communities and where we're able to increase our partnerships and do more programs or do different programs or, um, like go into podcasts, go into XYZ, like, how can we just kind of keep going with this funness mm -hmm. and this, but, like, it's fun engagement, it's fun education and knowledge, it's it's taking this, like, approach to having these conversations, but also being, like, we're talking about real stuff right now, mm -hmm. you know, we're not, this isn't, I'm not playing, right, mm -hmm. this is super serious, you hear me, this is great, you know, so I think that that is... <laughs> in a multitude of my ways that that's my answer i'm like in personal realm <laughs> yes but really um personal and professional is kind of like a non-profit uh life that i'm mm -hmm. in yeah yeah exactly i think um so i'm, I'm involved in volunteering in a couple other um organizations and brought them <laughs> and brought them both to uh to three dollar bill cinema and um and uh, uh the translations film festival because um uh you know like like alana said like everything gets wrapped together um and as we approach the the festival it this becomes your whole sort of you know eat drink sleep um cycle <laughs> um and sleep decreases <laughs> um so um I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt myself. Uh, Alana, you, you have to scoot. Did you want to say ciao to everybody, to the people? Just, uh, the peoples, all our fans and future fans. Thank I you know. so much for listening to us today. If you want more, you can catch us from <laughs> May 6th to May 9th. Um, we have our tea time in the mornings, um, the 7th through the 9th. And so this, like, fun personality be boppy around, you know, where we're, where we're going to show up. So just find out, <laughs> find out some more there and see you on our socials and all the things. And I love you lots. Even if I don't know you, trust me, I do love you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you so Thank much, you Alana. Much. Bye, Alana. So I can tell you know where our energy is. Oh, I said, now you know where our energy center is. <laughs> oh, yeah, right, right. Um, well, I'm actually a bi-coastal programmer mm -hmm. and am um, doing some projects on the East Coast. I'm creating the New Bedford Film Society in oh. Bedford, Massachusetts. And I'm working with the Zyterian Theater 
to create a year-long program of films called Cinema New Bedford. And we're actually launching it in June with a series that I'm curating called Beyond the Binary. That's mm-hmm. from non-binary films. So excited about it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think also like one of the things that's just been so um, exciting, right, about this last year, you know, in the midst of all the terrible stuff, is that we've all like had to, you know, do this crash course in oh online engagement. Mm. And so I've actually really enjoyed learning how to live stream and create engaging programming. Uh, Cooper was involved with the very famous um, and all too short weekly series called Cinema Quarantine. Oh. Um, which I created for the Three Dollar Bill Cinema last summer. Not the summer, but the summer before 2020. Oh, that was last summer. God. Yes. <laughs> it was like Thursday, Friday, I don't know. Yes, Welcome last to COVID summer. time. <laughs> oh, my God. I've been in, like, two coasts, like, in, during a pandemic. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's one of the things that we're bringing to the festival also is increased live programming, you know, whether it's live Q&As or panel discussions, um, live streaming that and trying to get the audience involved, you know, making, uh, providing ways for the audience to get involved. Um, and, you know, have, like, some interaction with the filmmakers and the cast has been really gratifying as well. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just dovetail off that and, and say, I mean, um, what, what Alana was talking about and what are the, some of those live events are about are, um, are trying to engage differently, um, doing the, the real-time and, um, and the pre-recorded um, so we can take full advantage and offer full advantage of this um, covidacious time, right? Of this moment where we are all mm. having to stay home yes. and um, and and take care of ourselves and do so, you know, with the watch parties and with the shared, uh, you know, you can go off and say, look, I've got these tickets. You should get some tickets. Let's watch this thing simultaneously and talk about it. Um, you know, those kinds of um, moments of creating virtual community. Um, and the tea time in particular, I want to come back to because it is the way you get to meet with us at the, in the morning, first thing, mm-hmm. 10 o'clock, um, all the way through the festival. And we'll, we have different guests coming on. And um, we're going to give you a rundown of what's happening in the festivals during the day and do so in a kind of really fun way. So you know how to watch and what to expect and who's going to be there and get familiar with some filmmakers. In, in a personal way, and some people are, are local. Mm-hmm. Um, and Seattle, as you know, it just, it's being in San Francisco, um, you know, it's it's an off the grid, on the grid city. Mm. Um, and not everyone knows that we have such incredible creative talent here when it comes to, um, I mean, to all kinds of arenas of art and creation, but um, but filmmaking in particular, um, hasn't really, it's kind of an underseen, underspoken. And mm. there are some really incredible work. Um, and there's work that speaks across the divide. Um, I think I was mentioning to you, Roman, that we have some gems that are California-based as well. Mm-hmm. So it feels like, you know, there's so gender knots and um, gender ration. Um, are, are, so gender knots is by Monica, Monica Troitz and um, from 1999, and it's it's a sort of innovative, groundbreaking piece from that moment that centers on the scene um, of uh, that was San Francisco in its gen- in its sort of gender verse, 
right? And mm. talking about what it means to belong to a larger non-binary space where you can have community and it's safe. Mm. And, um, and then what happens in the ensuing years when you have so much um, gentrification and so mm -hmm. much um, displacement and people, you know, could go move on with their careers and their lives and they grow older, but also San Francisco becomes a place that is um, too expensive to live. Yes, and unrecognizable in a lot of ways. And exactly, precisely. And here's this film, Genderation, that revisits some of the original people in Gender Knots mm. and, and, and says, you know, you know, what's up now? So we're going to have conversations with Susan Stryker, with um, with Scott Schofield, um, mm. with Nico Stormont, who's a new filmmaker from exactly the same place from San Francisco, um, and uh, and look at generations and have a link to gender knots. Mm. But but my my um, parallel point is we have other films in that are Seattle based, sort of looking at Seattle before it becomes the new San Francisco, right? Mm. And what what is happening here in its art scene and in its its genderverse and in its space? Because being, you know, the two places in the U.S. or two of the places in the U.S. where there are trans film festivals, there's got to be something. You, there's something going on, mm -hmm. right? Like out of ten in the world, these are the two places. Hmm. There's something mm. going on, and that's an interesting parallel I think to bring um, mm -hmm. to talk about and think about. Um, and and a lot of our filmmakers here um, have had to to travel to get to work, and they're now planting roots and able to sort of pull together their work, and and even through a pandemic. Mm -hmm. So there's not only determination. There's like a critical mass of something happening. Resilience. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Roman, I think you're right. I think it's resilience. They're developing um, developing and setting the terms for themselves of resiliency, right? And um, and that's, to me, that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. Indeed. <sighs> mm. Thank you so much for sharing that. We are uh, approaching, I know we are on a, a time limit, so we did want to just check in about that and see if there's anything else you all wanted to share before we wrapped up. Um, yeah, you know what? I'd love to talk about speed friending. Yeah. Um, something that, that we're doing that's kind of old and new. Um, so on the Sunday before the festival, so this coming Sunday, May 2nd, at 3 o'clock Pacific time, we're doing a virtual speed friending. Now, this is something we used to do in person at the Seattle Public Library, and it was mm -hmm. super fun. And we would do like you know the actual speed friending where you kind of like musical chairs, and you have two minutes to talk to a new person. Um, it's not dating; it's friending, and it's like really low stakes and super fun. I make I met some great people um, doing this, and I thought, well, maybe we could do something similar in a Zoom room, you know, with breakout rooms. So, and, and the thing about speedrunning is that not only do you meet new people, but you meet folks to go to the festival with, you know, you see them at the festival, and you're like, you know, it's just a really, it, it's a great way to introduce people to the community and to get them kind of, you know, revved up and ready for the festival experience. So we wanted to do something similar in the virtual realm. 
So we're going to, yeah, have uh, Zoom speech training and people can find out if you go to the website. Uh, it tells you, um, you, you just have to register, it's free, and we'll send you the Zoom link. And it's gonna be emceed by some fabulous filmmakers mm. from Kent, Washington, um, who are just incredible. And they're gonna have, they're theater people. So they're gonna do some great shtick, um, people from the Battery Theater and from the Utopia Collective. And then we're gonna do breakout sessions. So they're gonna give us some prompts. And so, you know, it's not gonna, you'll, you'll have like something to talk about um, in the breakout sessions. And we're not gonna just do two people. It'll be like three or four people. So we're trying to make it like as, you know, easy and like stress-free as it can, but also like, create a forum for people to actually get to know each other. Um, so we're gonna do that. We're gonna do show a sneak peek from the festival, uh, some stuff that's screening in the festival and kind of just give an overview, like highlights, uh, you know, how to fest. And uh, yeah, we're really hoping it works out. It's an experiment and we'll mm -hmm. see what gets this Sunday. Excellent. So that means your viewers can, your viewers now, your listeners can also um, be part of of speech friending and attend the whole festival because it's not it's not geo blocked in that way. Like, yeah, you guys can, everybody can can be part of it. I, that to me is amazing. Mm -hmm. That to me about these these particular times, that's amazing. Yes. Yeah, we would love if people from California and uh, around the world, you know, your global audience, mm -hmm. uh, were to join. Although, uh, yeah, actually, our global audience can join. Speech friending, although most of our material has to be geo-blocked um, because of you know films only having U.S. distributions, just like the mm, way. I see. Um, but yes, your but. your domestic audience, mm -hmm. uh, I think, would you know, very much enjoy speech friending. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for for joining. And Thanks for having us, Roman. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, big thanks. I uh, cut that off a little bit short right now, but um, big thank you to Cooper and Mocha James and Alana and all the folks affiliated with the Translations Film Fest. Again, if you'd like to check out the fest, it's happening May 6th through the 9th online, and you can go to $3BillCinema.org and also click on the Translations 2021 for the for tickets and the film guide, and we'll also have links up on our website. And again, that's three spelled out T-H-R-E-E dollarbillcinema.org and we're going to play some music had a request for Ryan Casada and we'll be playing um, just a lot of uh, trans musicians throughout the show start off the show with a song called The Tide by or I'm guessing the band's name is Reviver I haven't heard of them before but I really love the song and their name is R-V-I-V-R so uh, here's some more music and after a bit of a music break we'll uh, check back in we have some news items and action items that folks can take and uh, thanks again so much for tuning in. We'll be back in a bit. It's right after Montauk and sleep in the sand. I want to be succumbed to the waves crash as we lay in hand in hand. I want to climb the lighthouse as the lightning strikes. Watch these storms like artwork spelling out our names. Get stopped. They're floating in me. 
shine bright don't ever give up the right you chose to be so why not be free let your light shine bright don't ever give up the right you chose to be so why not be free? Let your light shine bright. 
lovely music break. I was only going to play a few songs, and I was like, oh, and then there's this one, and there's that one, and oh, such good music. So I'll be providing a link of these artists and songs on our website uh, so folks can check out these artists afterwards. Um, but the last song we heard uh, is one of my favorites. I say that about a lot of songs, and I have a lot of favorites, uh, called Summer Song, Solstice 14, which is, oh my goodness, seven years ago almost, wow, by Felix Lee. And before that, we heard Inopogu with Sad Computer, also one of my favorite songs. Ugh. And then before that, we heard Heaven Sent Delinquent, the electric version from Shana Virago, who's been a guest on the show before, and I feel like um, a lot of these folks have. So, yay. And before that, we heard uh, Star Amorasu with Shine Bright, which is from the major, the soundtrack for the film Major, which I highly recommend if folks have not seen yet. Uh, documentary about Miss Major. It's so good. Oh, it's so good. And the soundtrack's also really good. And then before that, we heard Ryan Casada with Catcher in the Rye. And I believe the video for that played at the Transfilm Fest, um, perhaps last year or the year before. Um, so yeah, I'll be playing some more music throughout the show, but I did want to get to some news. I mean, I don't want to get to some news. I don't want to talk about what's going on in the world because it is depressing and frightening. And at the same time, if we don't talk about it, then it's hard to, uh, create change and push back against it. So, um, whew, did want to share an article and this is from Jewish Currents and this is, Earlier in the conversation, we were talking about, uh, or at least mentioned, the all the, the bills that are going around around the country, which is extremely terrifying. Uh, there's a lot of terrifying things that are happening. Uh, so I, it's this is one of them. And uh, this is an article called The Anti-Trans Lobby's Real Agenda. And this was written by Jules Gill-Peterson, and this came out on April 27th. And then following the article, I'll share some action items that folks can take, especially for the cis folks out there listening. Because, uh, oh. Yeah, it's, I haven't even read the article yet out loud, and I'm just, it's, ugh, it's devastating. Um, but please do stay tuned, because uh, running away from it doesn't help either. Uh, although I'm also just for, uh, you know, self-care and everything, so clearly if it's, it, this is going to be a lot. I do encourage folks, if you are able to, please continue listening. And um, I, I've listened to a lot of other podcasts, and oftentimes not as intense topics as as we talk about here on the show so i, I recognize that it, it can be a lot and uh, i want to honor that and also it's a different format here we don't have advertisers we don't have sponsors so i don't have an engineer in the booth i don't do ads for fill in the blank of kind of product here uh, if i like something i'll just promote it because i like it um so just also just acknowledging that that it's it's a lot so I do appreciate folks listening in because it, it means a lot to me to be able to come here every week and to share this information. Okay. Whew. The Anti-Trans Lobby's Real Agenda. Again, this is by Jules Gill-Peterson. You can find this article at jewishcurrents.org. This year, over 100 anti-transgender bills have been introduced in more than 25 state legislatures, the, ma the vast majority of them banning trans kids, especially girls, from participating in organized sports in school as well as prohibiting or even criminalizing the delivery of gender-affirming health care. One of these bills was North Dakota's HB 1476, which sought in its own words to quote-unquote uh, prohibit the state from creating or enforcing policies that directly or symbolically respect non-secular self-asserted sex-based identity narratives or sexual orientation orthodoxy. This long, wordy proposal categorized trans people, transition-related health care for minors, same-sex marriage, 
drag queens, and any sexual orientation other than hetero as expressions of a quote-unquote religion called quote-unquote secular humanism. Introduced on January 18th by a group of five conservative House members and withdrawn from further consideration only three days later, HB 1476 generated no debate or commentary on the record and triggered only a limited response from journalists and progressive groups. The bill depicts trans people as quote-unquote faith-based. I'm going to interrupt that sentence there and just <laughs> sit with that for a while, okay? <sighs> um, adherence to a religious dogma enacted through taking hormones, changing names, and other aspects of transition. I'm also going to interrupt. I haven't finished this, finished this sentence yet, but um, I'm pretty sure cis folks also change their names and take hormones. Just, uh, okay. Oh, goodness gracious. Okay. Um, by the same token, it recategorizes advocacy by trans people for their civil rights as an act of proselytization. Proselyt oh, proselytization. According to the bill's legal logic, the state of North Dakota is thus justified by the establishment clause of the U.S. Constitution in withdrawing legal recognition, protection, and state spending that would benefit trans youth and adults. Further, the bill claims that the state must discriminate against trans people to the point of expelling them from the public sphere by banning their ability to transition, change legal documents, and assemble and express themselves in spaces like schools because, quote, the state might, may not directly or symbolically create, enforce, or endorse a policy that respects or promotes non-secular beliefs. In other words, the bill uses the rhetoric of religious freedom to declare trans people unfit for public life. The logic of HB 1476, however evidently forced, tells us much about how to understand the larger flood of anti-trans bills. Liberals have tended to see these bills as promoting a straightforward form of irrational discrimination toward trans youth that flouts the expert opinion of major medical organizations. Some more astute critics, meanwhile, have contended that the bills are, in a sense, not really about trans people at all, but are instead a cruel, though also somewhat arbitrary effort to raise funds and appeal to the evangelical base of the Republican Party in the run-up to the 2022 midterm elections. In fact, the right-wing proponents of this legislative avalanche have greater ambitions than mere electoral dominance. As HB 1476 shows, this legislative tactic is an attempt to use trans people as a pretext for a broader reformation of civil life and citizenship to advance an authoritarian Christian state policy on sex and gender. From this vantage point, it shares its strongest affinities with anti-Semitic, Islamophobic, and new Jim Crow era anti-black politics. It, also, it is also an example of settler colonial logic, since the state's indigenous population would find its two-spirit cultures and practices disestablished under the law. On first read, many observers were struck by the apparently flagrant contradiction between Republican efforts to pass, quote-unquote, religious liberty laws to codify private discrimination against gay, lesbian, and transgender people, and HB 1476's tactic of labeling trans people a non-secular sham, that's in quotations, of course, framing them, and I'm just going to say us since I am trans, as adherence to a religion that the state cannot endorse. <sighs> Good grief. Oh. Rather than a fatal contradiction, however, this incongruity in fact points to a skillful manipulation of the ambiguous concept of state secularism. By promoting implicitly Christian policy in the name of religious neutrality and advancing a notion of universalism that is in fact based in Christian particularism, the bill's authors in effect characterize a range of non-Christian identities, transness, 
but also Muslim and Jewish identities. I'm and I'm Jewish, so included in that as well, as incompatible with the mores of the public sphere. The apparent contradiction is not one that these laws aim to resolve, but to exploit. What looks like legal amateurism is in fact the most open expression to date of the larger political strategy of anti-trans legislation, which trans activists have speculated is presently undergoing an authoritarian and evangelically driven escalation. While a first wave of bills, which were signed into law in Tennessee, Mississippi, and Arkansas in March, ban both pediatric trans healthcare and participation in sports, the most recent slate of bills advanced in the past month by right-wing groups like the Alliance for Defending Freedom, or excuse me, Alliance Defending Freedom, the Heritage Foundation, and the Family Research Council, uh, proposes much harsher interventions. These new bills conform with the logic of HB 1476, whereby the state must aggressively attack not merely prohibit support for trans youth. A Texas bill would label supporting trans children as child abuse, allowing the state to forcibly remove children from their homes and place them in foster care, where presumably they could be adopted by a Christian family. A North Carolina bill would, inf would force teachers to out any children who display what they perceive to be gender nonconforming behavior to school officials and their parents. And a recently passed bill in Florida opens the door to requiring physical genital inspections of young children to assign them a sex for school sports under the law. While these bills are commonly cloaked in secularized language about countering allegedly unnatural quote-unquote gender ide ideology, they also importantly enlarge the authoritarian scope of the state to subject trans youth to forms of cultural conversion based in an evangelical understanding of the gender binary. Seeing these bills in the context of their larger political strategy, it becomes clear that simply insisting on trans kids' right to inclusion and individual liberty does not constitute an adequate defense against the agenda of the Christian right. And also, they are calling to uh, sexually <laughs> abuse kids, which is just so fucking disgusting. <sighs> Next paragraph. If this year's anti-trans bills are emblems of a broader conservative Christian political project, we can see them not as sudden and arbitrary aberrations, but instead as developments in a decades-long process. And I would suggest oh yeah i guess that yeah thinking about in the 80s anyway continue on oh yeah they're gonna get this okay the construction of an authoritarian christian ethno state is a project that dates back at least to the reagan revolution in which sex panics and anti-abortion politics converged with anti-blackness in the form of the war on drugs the dismantling of welfare and the expansion of mass incarceration to rewrite the conservative playbook in subsequent decades sweeping political efforts from bill clinton's welfare reforms to W's brand of quote-unquote compassionate fuck that guy and fuck Bill Clinton too. I'm just adding that in. Uh, Christian conservatism, which channeled substantial federal funding to Christian social service organizations, further shored up this political consensus. Legislators building on this foundation declared the state itself a heterosexual body, as in the Defense of Marriage Act, Christian, by prohibiting sexual content or enforcing abstinence-only sex education in school, and anti-black by cementing the use of police and prison to disenfranchise African Americans. Not only has this playbook enlarged the role of an authoritarian state in policing its citizenry based on race, gender, and sexuality, but that policing is also, crucially, the justification for the massive neoliberal abandonment of public health, welfare, and education. As the definition of the public 
has shrunk along these racialized, gendered, and sexual lines, the state's mandate to materially provide for public welfare has shrunk along with it. The current wave of bills attacking trans children follow this playbook. A close look at HB 1476 suggests that there are two steps to this process. The first is to declare trans people uncivil, aberrations from the desired norms of the state and the law, and therefore unworthy of the status and privileges accor accorded to citizens. In this case, trans people are accused of adhering to, a, to the religion of quote-unquote secular humanism in violation of the political contract for participating publicly in the secular state. This would effectively mean the state deeming trans people incapable of belonging to national life, leaving them without access to the public sphere, state benefits, or the ability to challenge discrimination and violence. The second axis of the bill's logic justifies the state's withdrawal of public welfare in arenas like healthcare, education, and civil rights for all but the Christian ethnostate's privileged ruling class. In this light, Republican religious liberty bills do not contradict legislation like HB 1476, but complement it. While the state imagines emancipating itself from trans people by defining us, not them, us, as unfit for citizenship, religious liberty bills enshrine Christianity as the de facto state religion. In doing so, they reframe the openly eugenic policy of banning trans children's health care as a positive claim about whose lives are being selected by the state as most valuable. Trans children are particularly useful props in this argument as the figure of the child has long been the sentimental stand-in for the nation and, by extension, in its most extremist manifestations, the quote-unquote race. Since at least the antebellum period, as historians have detailed, the racial innocence invested in the figure of the white child has served as an anchor of proper American uh, political feeling. Statecraft and governance often invoke the hypothetical child's welfare and protection as a justification for dismissing real people's political demands. The politics of quote-unquote protecting the innocent white child have rationalized the disposability of entire populations, like immigrants, the descendants of enslaved people, criminals, people with disabilities, and so-called deviants. Today we are witnessing trans, children, uh, trans, trans children's addition to this list. The resulting eugenic arithmetic is far from hidden. Trans children, according to this ideology, are not innocent due to their supposed corruption by quote-unquote gender ideology and medicalization, which are in reality indictments of their self-knowledge and active trans desire. They therefore must be ejected from the boundaries of the nation in order that quote-unquote women and girls, and they mean cis women and girls, uh, be protected from them, even though uh, cis men <laughs> and boys seem to be uh, the ones causing the problems. Okay. Or protected from transness. This is how... I. I kind of get wrapped up in some of these articles sometimes, just a side note, you can tell. Uh, this is how a bill that claims to promote safety or ensure fairness can save itself from the obvious objection that in fact does the very opposite. The rhetoric of quote unquote saving children from transition might imply that the goal of these bills is to make children cisgender or at least stop them from being transgender. In Arkansas, for instance, a bill banning healthcare for young people was literally titled Save the Adolescents from Experimentation Act, and it's SAFE is the acronym. Like, I'm going to take a few breaths here because this is just so fucking cruel and stupid. I don't, I don't have the adjective. I say that pretty much every week because I happen to read at least one, if not several, news stories about people in positions of power causing great harm and uh, I've run out of words to use about this. 
because it's just so disgusting. In practice, however, these bills would not so much stop children from being trans as they would push them out of public life altogether by explicitly denying them access to healthcare and education. This would not amount to making trans children cis, of course, as over a century of torturous and failed conversion therapy already reminds us in grisly terms. Whatever the stated goals of the bills, they cynically bet on the unwillingness of trans children to suppress their identities, then take the added step of declaring trans childhood uncivil by stipulating that the state will only recognize and serve cis children, a policy that could still that could be still further exploited to punish any child for their perceived failure to pass as cis. Indeed, the North Dakota bill's fantasized outcome is not merely formal discrimination, but the total privatization of transness out of the state's care and out of the public sphere. In his essay on the Jewish question, Karl Marx argued that the modern state privatizes minority groups, defining them as quote unquote free from any relationship to the state in order to exclude them from the terms of citizenship. We see a similar logic at work here. The state is aiming to push trans people out of public life and citizenship to emancipate itself from them or from their political power. It is no coincidence then that Islamophobic, anti-black, anti-immigrant, anti-Semitic, evangelical Christian and white nationalist groups all find themselves on the same side of this issue, especially online where disinformation campaigns and violent language death threats and fantasies involving the abuse of children are hurled at trans advocates and the parents of trans children. The only response in the liberal playbook, an appeal to the state to recognize trans children as the naturally innocent property of their parents, as in a viral video tweeted by the ACLU of a Missouri father pleading for tolerance from the legislators, fails to contest the broader political strategy. We have seen elsewhere the way that appeals to universalism can cement Christian cultural norms as requirements for citizenship and participation in public life. As in France and Quebec, where the state policy of official secularism, or la cité, is viciously Islamophobic and anti-Semitic, banning the hijab and all personal displays of religiosity by public officials. So too now, trans children are deemed non-secular as we watch the state declare itself universally cisgender. Ultimately, if there is more at hand here than a culture war, the response to these bills needs to shift beyond lukewarm affirmations that trans children have an inalienable right to exist. That much ought not to be in dispute. It's true that these bills carry life and death implications, that children will die if they pass, as one Arkansas doctor told the state legislature. But what's under threat is just as much the quality of trans children's lives, the political conditions placed on those lives, and the larger authoritarian and Christian political structures in which they become, they have become ensnared. If these bills are emblematic of our authoritarian and neoliberal mo moment, our opposition to them needs to meet the real threat they represent with an equally strong vision for more than narrowly conceived freedom from discrimination. The public sphere and the very qualifications for participating in democratic life are at stake. And so the author of this piece again is Jules Gill-Peterson, who is the author of Histories of the Transgender Child, a general co-editor at Transgender Studies Quarterly, and an associate professor of English at the University of Pittsburgh. And again, you can find this article at jewishcurrents.org, and it came out on April 27th, and we will also provide a link to the article on our webpage at weeklyrev.org. Gonna play some more music for a bit, and uh, 
And we'll be uh, we'll be back soon. Okay. <laughs> Got. Uh, I just need to change things up here for one moment, and then we'll be uh, then we'll be ready here. Okay. So this is from a band called Trap Girl, and this is called Trans Women and Children.
this went a lot faster than I had planned. So got, it's time to wrap up already. And I did mention that there would be some action items folks can take, and I will be posting a link later today on our website, weeklyrev.org. If you click on today's date, it'll be April 30th. There will be a link to a Twitter thread based on folks on where you live and or not. You can uh, select certain states and get in contact with representatives. And again, really calling on cis folks to, to show up. It's uh, far too late, but also uh, far too late just to, I guess, pay lip service to this, but really just showing up, making a call, sending an email, talking to your friends, posting about it on social media. Um, it, it's super fucking frightening. And for the idea of folks who are like, oh, we'll just move out of this place. That's a really fucked up thing to say. And uh, everyone should be free to be who they are everywhere on top of that. And it's not... Uh, as someone who has lived oftentimes in coastal cities and there's that kind of uh, snobbery, I think, that is, I feel to be really uh, unfortunate. It's not the, not the correct word, but everyone, sh people, no matter where people live, people, should not, people shouldn't have to flee to be themselves. And it's really, uh, yeah, I think I'm, I don't have the, the quite, quite right phrasing for it, but there is, it tends to be, yeah, this, looking at states as being, oh, they're red states, so, you know, instead of recognizing that there's voter suppression that happens there, and uh, there are queer folks everywhere and who, who deserve rights. So, again, um, a, a reminder that uh, folks should not have to move to survive. Yeah? All right. I feel like that's a kind of like a basic thing, but sometimes it's uh, worth repeating. So, uh, yeah, so the songs I played, I found an article on uh, trans punk singers. So the first song is by a band called Trap Girl, Trans Woman in Chokeholds, and then a song uh, by a band called Tears for the Dying, and it was called ACAB. I hadn't listened to it yet. I just chose it selected, uh, specifically for the title itself. Did not disappoint. So I'm going to play some more music here, and again, please check out weeklyrev.org. And also, if you'd like to donate to the show, um, again, we don't have sponsors here. Just do this because uh, it's really important to get actual information out. So if you would like to, please check out patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. You can also find a link on our website. Anywhere from a dollar a month or more would be super helpful and appreciated. And you can also check out previous episodes as well. Thanks again so much for tuning in, and we'll be back next week. Next up is a song by Evan Greer. And the title, let me see if I can see the full title here. Um, uh, it's Emma Goldman would have beat your dot 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 and I'm assuming it's ass let's find out shall we so thanks again so much and also for all the folks uh, with translations and we'll be providing links for that film fest as well have a great weekend everyone what do you think about Russia Miss Goldman
philosophy which aims at the emancipation, economic, social, political, and spiritual of the human race. Well gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutiny radio.fm. From there you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> Mutiny, mutiny radio, got a mutiny, mutiny radio, got a mutiny, mutiny radio, my friend. Got mutiny, mutiny radio, got a mutiny, mutiny radio, got a mutiny radio, my friend. You ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've given it a thought or two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. We're hosts of... You uh, with Michael Spiegelman. 
podcast by with our acronym L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-C. We watch a full-length movie on YouTube with you, and you listen to the podcast and yeah. watch the movie at the same right. time. Yeah. L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. Yeah, L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. That's every Sunday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, or if you're Carl, 5%, 5% Eastern Right, I'm so lazy. Three hours later, I finally get to the show, 5 p.m. Let's hear the theme song. Oh, let's watch full-length. All right, let's do a full-minute promo. Oh, never mind. Bye. See you next time. I was just leaving the theater. Convertible 1969 gold Cadillac with a white interior. I drove it up here. And I started to do some thinking. Around in it on the freeway, and I'm having a really, really good time. Flat black glass. Smoking big spliffs and cruising. Saturday noon to two. On the freeway. Good feeling. I am a Colonel Blake. Henry. Yeah. Charlie here. Yeah. I have a report here, Henry, from your uh, from your chief nurse, Major O'Houlihan. Uh, she makes some accusations, Henry. I, I find pretty hard to believe. Uh, the dude minds, man. Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Hey, everybody. Listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, Write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger.
crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. who have an insatiable appetite for all things in life, who scream at nothing and everything at the same time, who dance till sunup, who cause the sun to set again with irreverent bow, who rival the moon with gravitational force, who leave rooms feeling empty and earthquake struck, who don't give a fuck, who make, who do, who dream out loud and laugh like maniacs, who draw shock and awe on faces graced with watching, who create from the soul of an orgasm, who swagger even alone in the shower, who fight with passion and love with passion and our passion, who catapult over cliffs in the name of revolution, who would rather die than fall in line to conform, who constantly challenge the norm, who greet each and every day as if just born. I say to you, I know your greatness the way a suicide jumper knows weightless just before the impact, and in fact, I know it best when I say to you, I love you. Hello there, my friends out at Mutiny Radio. Chester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Mufi's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and files and files of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Fantastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Fantastic's Deep in the Mission, where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off. For <laughs> it's in duty this. And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer cottage on the mountain ridge with the kayaks, you know. <laughs> Just go to podcasts.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. To laugh off your tushy and save your life. Because you know what's better than laughter? Well, it's a cash cock, baby. Mm-hmm. 